who you want to dive in. I love that song. That is one of my favorite Stephen Curtis Chapman songs. And the line that I love the most is this. We will never know the awesome power of the grace of God until we get swept away by this mighty flood. We can't know the power until we truly have faith and we're able to jump when it's necessary. This has been such a fun series as we've gone through looking at Jesus seeing things. And he's seen pain. He's seen sacrifice. He's seen sin. He's seen so many things, and he sees all. But today we get to talk about Jesus seeing faith. And there's so many examples, it was hard to choose which things, which accounts I could share that will help us kind of understand what faith looks like when Jesus sees it. So a question for you, in what do you have faith? In what do you have faith? In his coming again, okay? Anything else you have faith in? Do you have faith in the government? Do you have faith in the banks? Do you have faith in people? Some of them. Okay, I'll tell you something you've already demonstrated complete faith in this morning. You have faith in the pews. You sat down knowing it was going to hold you. One day it might not, (laughs) but you had faith in the pews because you demonstrated it by actually sitting. You had faith in the water that you drank. You had faith in the food that you ate, knowing it was going to be safe. Not everybody is that blessed to have that faith, but you do because you did eat, right? You did drink some water, at least some coffee made with water. See, those things you demonstrated faith in because you trusted them, you did something that required that faith. Faith is not just believing. But knowing, knowing you can trust in something or someone, depending on that knowledge in the decisions you make, that is faith. It's just not this, oh, I believe, Mm -mm. I know. Do you have faith in Christ? Do you? Is it shown by the choices that you make? For some, yes. For some, no, and for most of us, most of the time maybe, but not always, because it's hard. Faith is hard. Here's some scriptures on faith before we get to the one we're we're sharing today in the message. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see the pew. That doesn't take faith. But knowledge, confidence, assurance about what we do not see, knowing God has us, knowing God has you. Interestingly, this verse is found in two places in the Bible. One is in 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-six, but it's also found in Psalm 18, verse 25, same verse. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. Think about that one for a moment. When do you 
get to see God's faithfulness when you are being faithful. Does that make sense? Is that soaking in a little bit? It requires that we have faith in order to see God's provision. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. The implication there? There aren't any. So, nobody manages it all the time. Jesus saw faithlessness. So Matthew 6. Why do you worry about your life? Anybody worry? Anybody worry? Yeah. I love the honesty. This is good. You worry about your life. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear. It's the consider the lilies passage. And what does he say at the end of this? You of little faith. He saw faithlessness. How about the guys in the boat? They're all off on the Lake of Galilee. It's a lake. Um, they call it a sea in the scriptures. They're out on that lake. It's a massive lake. Picture something like Lake Michigan. And the storm comes up, and they're scared. And Jesus is in the boat with them. This is not where he comes walking to them. He's in the boat. He's asleep. He's asleep. And virtually he says, wake up, wake up, we're going to die. Did they remember who was in the boat? Jesus says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? That's found in Matthew 8. People in his hometown, we talked about this in another message, that didn't believe. I mean, it's like, who is this kid? We know him. He's Joseph's boy. He's a carpenter kid. He's, he's nothing. And it says in Matthew 13, 58, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So our faith is directly connected to the miracles that can be done. Peter walking on the water, what happened when he took his eyes off of Jesus? He sank. Is there a whole sermon in that one? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? He saw faithlessness, and he still loves. That's, a good, that's good news. That's good news. Then Jesus saw faith. And these are the ones that were really close to my heart and demonstrated faith in a way that I can look forward to trying to live. Do you remember the woman who touched his robe? Do you remember? She had a horrible, horrible disease that had been causing her to bleed for a long time, for years. She said, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And he didn't let her get away with sneaking it. But he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She had faith that he saw. How about the guys who lowered the paralytic through the roof? Do you remember that story? There was such a crowd around and such a crowd in the house. And they had a friend who was paralyzed. And these four guys come and they cut a hole in the roof. That's dedication to get to the healer. They cut a hole in the roof. They lower him down in front of Jesus. Did the man on the mat believe? We don't know 
whether he believed. It never tells us whether he believed. But this is a startling thing to keep in mind. Jesus said, it says, when Jesus saw their, their faith, the friend's faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Does it matter that you have faith and maybe the person that you're praying for doesn't? Yes, it matters. Your faith has far-reaching, far-reaching results. Pray for your friend. So now we come to our passage. If you would please stand in honor of God's word. from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, starting with verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So ends the reading of God's word, and you may be seated, please. How appropriate for a Memorial Day weekend that we're talking about soldiers. We're talking about the rank, you know, the, the chain of command here. And this centurion gets it. Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this ever. A centurion comes to Jesus. Do you realize how shocking that is? A Roman soldier approaches a Jewish rabbi. Oh, what a startling picture this would have been for everyone there because it was kind of like when we talked about the Samaritan woman and Jesus, it just didn't happen. You didn't have centurions coming to a Jewish rabbi for help. The centurion has faith in who Christ is. He already recognizes who he is. Jesus had already healed a Jew of paralysis. We know this earlier in Scripture. And it was an amazing thing. The centurion likely had heard it, had heard about it. Well, if he can do that, he can do this. The logic of a military man. Isn't it interesting that he called him Lord? Did, did you notice that? A Roman centurion calls a Jewish rabbi Lord. That's reserved for Caesar. He calls him Lord. He shows recognition. He shows respect of Jesus' positions. Centurions do not refer to Jewish, to Jewish people of any rank as Lord. Never. 
then Jesus said to come. Shall I come and heal him? Well, duh. What did he come there for? He wants him to heal. Jesus asked him, shall I come and heal him? It's extraordinary that the centurion answers what he does. A Jew entering a Gentile home would then be considered to be unclean. And the centurion likely knows this. He is respectful of the traditions of this rabbi that he's seeking help from. And he also is humble. He realizes he doesn't have any right to be asking anything of Jesus. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. When we pray, are we that humble? Lord, I need your help. I know I don't deserve it. I'm afraid that often we're exactly the opposite. We expect God to do what we want him to do. And it doesn't quite work that way, now does it? This is the faith. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. He says, I myself am a man under authority. He recognizes and speaks that Jesus has authority. And Jesus commends his faith. Again, we don't get this. We don't get how startling this is, this conversation that's happening. This is the first time that Jesus mentions the kingdom plan that it is going to include Gentiles. Do you realize that? In saying what he does and talking about Abraham and Isaac, that whole part, he is telling his people, Gentiles are going to be there and some of you aren't going to make it. Some of you aren't going to make it by virtue of your bloodline. You have to have faith. You have to have faith. This must have absolutely stunned his followers. Do, do we have faith? Do we? This passage helps me understand a little bit more about how faith works. Verse 13, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. He has to go to experience the miracle, doesn't he? He has to go. Do you think that centurion doubted as he went? I don't. Notice that it's not about how much faith he has. Having enough faith doesn't lead to the healing. How many of you have prayed for something, and you tried to have all the faith in the world, and it didn't happen the way that you hoped it would? It's not that you didn't have enough faith. It's just that it wasn't part of God's plan. There isn't a magic formula for faith. And for making things happen, having prayers answered, yes. But there are some certain things in this one, in this account, that do apply. First of all, the centurion came to Jesus for help. I've heard so many people say, well, I'm praying about it, nothing else works. Yes? Have you heard this? I guess I might as well pray. 
what is wrong with that picture? What is wrong with that picture? What should happen first? We should pray. The centurion came to Jesus for help. The centurion recognized Jesus for who he is, that he is Lord. Do we? Do we really recognize who he is and that he holds everything in his hand? The centurion was humble in knowing that he really wasn't worthy of Jesus. He wasn't worthy to have his request granted. Do we feel that way? I think sometimes we really think God should do it our way. I've done that a few times. Listen to me. Humility is key. The centurion proclaimed Christ's power and authority to all of those around him, acknowledging that Jesus had more authority than a Roman centurion. Again, startling to the people. Crazy thing. Just say the word. Just say the word, Jesus. Just say it. And I know you're going to do a miracle. Just say the word. Hebrews passage again, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That centurion had that kind of faith. Jesus often required action first before the miracle could happen. Do you remember the blind man that had Jesus put mud on his eyes? Remember that one? And then he said, go wash it off. I, I would just imagine this blind man going, well, I hope something's going to happen. Right now, all I have is muddy eyes. And so he goes and he washes it off, and guess what? The miracle happened. How about the lepers? When the ten lepers came, and he said, go on your way, go tell the priest. Go tell that you are healed. And when did the healing take place? As they were going. What if they said, well, what are we going to tell them? Nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. He told that paralytic, pick up your mat and walk. And he did. He didn't go, what? He picked up the mat and he walked and caused a whole mess of things because that was sinful in his own eyes. I love the passage in Joshua about, this is not Jesus, obviously, but this is how God works in Each Trinity Sunday, they're the same. Joshua is speaking to the people. He says, As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So if I told you that, would you believe me? Okay, when you go out there, the waters is going to stand up in a heap. The people had enough faith that they're going, okay. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap. What did they have to do first? They had to touch the water with the feet. They started diving in. It's the diving in that makes the difference. We do not see God work 
until we actually take that leap, take that step at least into the water. Jesus saw faith. But the big question for us today, what does he see when he looks at us? Does he see faith? What, what, do, you, what do you do in your life that requires faith? But is that faith in God? Yes, but faith in the air? Faith in the air? What? If someone looks at your life and the Jesus looks at their life, what do you say? He or she has faith. Look at when they depended on me. Look at when they depended on me and nothing else could explain what happened. That's faith. When was the last time you took a leap of faith? When was the last time? Have you ever taken a leap of faith? All your life. <laughs> There you go, Barb. His whole life is a leap of faith. There's some truth in that one. There's truth in that one. Think about your life. In what do you really have faith? If you pulled out your bank statement, would it reflect faith in God? Good? Or might it reflect faith in your job, your income, something else? How about your daytime, or we don't have those anymore, you know, my calendar on my iPad. You look at the schedules that we're keeping. What do we have faith in? These are things that I really encourage you to spend some time reflecting upon, because they're great ways to go, ooh, uh-oh, maybe I need to work on this. The truth is, we live in fear. We live in fear. We, we have to control, and... The beautiful thing is God knows this. Do you know how many times it says in Scripture, do not fear? Do you know how many times? 357. It even covers a leap year. <laughs> One for every single day of the year. Do not fear. I am with you always. I love this, this part of a devotional that I received, and it's where I got the title of the sermon. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, and I thought about coming up with, you know, R stands for this, I stands for this. It's not usually my style, so I didn't. But this is where I got this. God is constantly viewing our lives with a future, with future success in mind. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Isaiah 43:19. Someone once said. I heard this quoted to me this week. When your memories are bigger than your dreams, you're headed for the grave. I'm going to say that again. When your memories are bigger than your dreams, you're headed for the grave. Are your dreams big? Are they bigger than the memories that you have? Huh. God wants to give us new dreams that are bigger than anything that has ever happened to us in the past. I, I want to share some, some examples from my own crazy life. You know, people who have known me a while, you know me a lot, James. People who have known me for a while know that there have been some pretty strange leaps that I've had to make over the years. Once upon a time, I was a school teacher, and I taught for 22 years, and I was 
pretty good at it. I enjoyed it. I taught music. I, it was a good career. But one day, God said, hey, quit. Resign. And I'm like, what? Why? You don't get to know that. Obey. It was, it was a leap of faith. I wasn't quite sure how we were going to make ends meet. Uh, okay. Because I had that sense, and I can't explain that. It's a knowing. I had that sense of what he wanted me to do, what he required me to do. And so I did it. I wrote out this letter. I went into my principal's office the last day of school, and I said, I'm resigning. He said, what? <laughs> because, of course, he didn't see it coming. Actually, it was pretty funny. He says, you can't. You can't resign. He said, I'm just going to retire before you resign. <laughs> and I said, I'm supposed to resign. God has asked me to do this. I got the witness to say it. And I went out to my car. I'll never forget this as long as I live. I went out to my car, and I called Pastor Steve. And I said, Pastor Steve, I just resigned. And he said, I thought you'd already done that. <laughs> said, no, I did it today. And I said, you know what? It was like jumping off a cliff. It was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. So that was one. The second one was when I became a chaplain. I argued and argued and argued with Dorothy at the, at the hospital. You're called to be a chaplain. No, I'm called to be a pastor. You're called to be a chaplain. No, I'm called to be a pastor. You know, and there's a whole long version of this I won't get into, but doggone it. For that time in my journey, I was called to be a chaplain. And so I stepped out of the journey to become a pastor of a church and became a chaplain for a church. Then there was a time, about six years ago, six or seven years ago, when I, you, most of you did not know this, I was this close to being called to another church. I was in the process. We were down to the final probably month before it would happen. And... Pastor Steve decided to drop back to three-quarter time, and the session, you know, the session then, offered me the opportunity to become executive pastor, to become head of staff. And the interesting thing about that was that God required that I pull out of the process with Mission Woods before he revealed that, before the session then. Again, what? You want me to what? You need to stay here. You need to stay here. And then leading us into the ECC. Was that ever a leap of faith? We've all done it. We've all done a leap of faith, haven't we? Because all the other Presbyterians go somewhere else. Very few go to the ECC. But was it the right thing? Oh, yes. It was so the right thing. When you come, this is a quote, when you have come to the edge of all light that you know, and are about to drop off into the darkness of the unknown, faith is knowing one of two things will happen. There will be something solid to stand on, or you will be taught to fly. I love that quote. You want me to read it again? When you have come to the edge of all light that you know, and are about to drop off into the darkness of the unknown, faith is knowing one of two things will happen. There will be something solid to stand on, or you will be taught to fly. 
the wings of eagles. So how are you doing with your faith? How are you doing? Taking leaps of faith is not easy. It requires a certainty that this is what God is asking. And that, people have asked me, how did you know? How did you know? And I, I can't explain it. It's just a knowing. And I think it comes partly from God using two-by-fours and partly from just spending a lot of time with him. Spending a lot of time with him. When you're facing the unknown, do you absolutely know that whatever happens, there will be something solid to stand on, or you will be tossed to the ground. You know that? You know that? I'm counting on you. I need to share with you the latest leap of faith that God has asked me of me. I will be leaving Ashokaskar at the end of the summer, on August 31st. And I became aware of this that this was what God was desiring of me. A couple of weeks ago, it kind of began to unfold. And you're going to get a letter later, you know, about Wednesday of this coming week that explains in more detail. But this is partly what happened. I suddenly knew with absolute certainty that I am not called to be your next pastor. Even though I had said early on, I don't feel called to fly, and that was a true thing. I kept praying about it. I kept thinking, well, maybe, maybe. And God said a couple of weeks ago, no, I have something else for you. Well, you going to tell me what it is? Right. That would be too easy now, wouldn't it? No, you just need to know that. And so that actually relieved me a bit, because like, okay, now I know. Now I know. So the second thing was, I am a trained general pastor. Um, I received my training in the PCUSA, and that's one thing the PCUSA does extraordinarily well. And as I started thinking about truly the role of the interim pastor, I started realizing that in order for this congregation to be able to be healthy and receive a brand new pastor, there needed to be a time of separation. Has to happen. Has to, because if can you imagine what it would be like to go one Sunday me, the next Sunday a brand new pastor, sheep dogs still barking around? It wouldn't work. My training tells me that. So it's like, okay, all right, God, but we don't have any idea of the timing of when a pastor's going to come. And so I reached out to the denomination. I reached out to the conference. I talked to some people, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And this was the answer. So, my last day will be August 31st. I want you to know how much I love you. And I want you to know I'm fine. My health is fine. My personal life is fine. Everything's fine. And I don't have a job. <laughs> He's doing this again. That's how I know it's God. When God asked me to do something ridiculously insane, I need to know it's God, because that's the way he works in my life. And it's going to be good. Do you have the faith that I've been spending this time talking about? You will learn how to stand without me, and maybe you'll be taught to fly, too. 
just not to another church. Go to another church. Stay here. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. You know, James, we, we're going to, that will be discussed later. I'll just short version. Pastor Bill's going to step in. He's got you. You're good. Yeah, you got Lisa. <laughs> it's good. So, hard news to share. But we said, I'm diving in. I'm diving in. Again. Okay. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you for... Thank you for faith. It's a gift you give us. Nobody can believe strong enough. Nobody. But you give us that faith, and you show us that you are trustworthy. Lord, I ask for your your mercy and your blessings upon this congregation, that they know you love them. And though maybe they can't see it today, you have something amazing in store for them. And Lord, I know you have that for me as well. It's going to be a ride, Lord. And I'm holding on. Help all of us to hold on tight to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.